Hello, and welcome to Break Concrete, a podcast exploring the unique experiences of Black women professionals as they navigate race and gender in the workplace and break through the concrete wall to professional advancement. I'm your host, Sherilyn. Let's get started. Hi, friends. As you know, Break Concrete is between seasons. Season two will be launching at the end of July, but I had the opportunity to team up with the UK podcasters from Black Women Working, and I am super excited to share this episode with you. They are four dynamic women who discuss workplace issues relevant to Black women in the UK. With all that's going on in the world with regard to COVID, lockdown, racial unrest, we discuss burnout. We examine how some of these issues are showing up in the U.S. and the U.K. and the impact they have on us as Black women. So ladies, I'm happy to have you on Break Concrete and to learn more about what's going on in the U.K. So please introduce yourselves and share what you want listeners to know about you and what drives you to be the woman you are today. So my name is Tolu. I'm from the Black Women Working Podcast. What would I like listeners to know about me? I think one thing I'd like listeners to know is that I'm not a finished book. I'm constantly evolving, changing my opinions and where I stand on things to the extent that sometimes it shocks me. But I believe that's a critical part of becoming a better human being. So I evolve. What drives me to be the woman I am today? I think seeing the world around me and having a greater understanding of what people are going through and just building up my capacity for empathy, because I believe that when you are empathetic and you can understand what a variety of other people are going through, that works better as a whole to build communities where people feel safe, people feel treasured, people feel loved and valued. So that's something that really drives me as an individual today. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, it's Chantel from the Black Women Working Podcast. I would say right now in this present moment, I am committed to living my best Black life. And that is my ode to Black Lives Matter, simply because there is a lot going on. And sometimes there's a lot of pressure to feel like you should be doing this or you should be doing that or you could be doing more. And I'm coming from a standpoint of I'm just going to do the things that I do the very best way that I can and live my best black life whatever that looks like whether I stay in bed all day or <laughs> do my episode or whatever it is whatever the best is to me so yeah that's me and I would say in terms of what motivates me to be the person that I am that is definitely my attachment to womanhood the women before me the women with me and the women after me in looking at life's lessons and trying to dodge and swerve the bullets that unfortunately other people have been hit by but also to learn from and elevate myself from what I've had the privilege of learning being able to learn and leaving a legacy so that other women in the future can do the same. Great. Thank you. And so there are two of your podcasters on your show who are not here today, right? Mm -hmm. What are their names? Unfortunately, they're missing action. That's Rachel and Natalie. And I guess I'll introduce myself for your listeners. So mm. I'm Sherilyn. I'm the host of Break Concrete, Black Women at Work. And I'm based in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the U.S. And what drives me or what makes me the woman I am today I'm really passionate about social justice, women's issues, and racial issues as well. And 
What makes me who I am? I'm originally from Jamaica, also lived in Barbados, so I have a Caribbean hey. background. <laughs> and I moved to the U.S. when I was younger, but also stayed in a very much a West Indian neighborhood. So I've always had that really rooted in me. And I feel like I've traversed different worlds throughout my life, you know, whether it was West Indian culture, American culture, going into other communities for schooling, for example. And I've always had strong women around me. So that's what makes me who I am today. Amazing. (laughs) So we're talking about burnout today. And I looked up the definition of burnout in psychology today, and it is a state of emotional, mental, and often physical exhaustion brought on by prolonged or repeated stress. It's often caused by problems at work, but can also appear due to caretaking or romantic relationships. And, you know, burnout doesn't just happen because we're working long hours or juggling too many tasks. It often happens when you feel like you're not in control, you're asked to complete tasks that conflict with your sense of self, or you're working towards a goal that doesn't resonate with you. So have either of you experienced burnout in a job, in love, in life? Of course. (laughs) I think, funny enough, I think my first experience of burnout in the workplace was in 2017. And at that point, I had been uh, teaching. Our listeners know I'm a teacher. I'd been teaching for about six, seven years. And I mean, teaching is a stressful job. But I was prepared for that. I entered it quite a few years after I had graduated. But in 2016, I took on a role for a brand new startup school and it was quite a thing in the UK because we had some legislation around what you call free schools where independent organizations and individuals were able to create their own schools and I think it's something that was and is underestimated in terms of the amount of work it would take to start something from scratch. Again, I was prepared for that. I was excited by that because obviously when you're starting something new, there's so many wonderful things you can do with it because you've got a blank canvas. But I think what I very quickly learned was, no, I didn't very quickly learn. On reflection, (laughs) what I should have seen is that the job probably wasn't for me. I could have known that within the first three to six months and I stayed for two years and my aunt who's a a psychotherapist had said to me attachment issues are not just between human beings as in like mother and child or whatever she said I think you're holding on to something and staying longer than you need to and that's probably because consciously and unconsciously I had defined what it meant to be starting this new phase of my career and thinking about the progression that it would potentially lead to and all the wonderful things that I thought I wanted to fulfill. But actually, I was in a place, as in physically that place, and emotionally with the colleagues that I I was working with, that wasn't for me. And what it meant was that whilst I'm very competent and very confident in my role, I started to overdo it. I started to work harder. I started to work longer. I started to question myself. I started to second guess myself in trying to accomplish this role that we were never going to be a fit. In hindsight, we were never going to be a fit. What was required of me wasn't what I was able as in able wanting to, able the stage of my career, able in terms of the perspective of how I see my career. It was never going to fit. 
And the staying and the trying to meet the needs was probably more of the burnout than actually the activities that were required, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think for me personally, I relate to some of what you've said just there with regards to sometimes we almost bring the burnout upon ourselves and it's not necessarily what was required of us in that moment. Although I do acknowledge that there's certain circumstances and situations, especially specifically in the workplace, where the burnout is kind of as a result and consequence of the expectations placed upon you, reasonable or unreasonable. For me, I came to the brink of burnout around the same time, actually, coincidentally enough, uh, 2017 I think I was fresh in a new role and I went on holiday and the person who was above me in that role, and I came back and she'd been made redundant and I'd only been there for about four months. So basically all the responsibilities of her role and my role just kind of landed on top of me. And there was, there wasn't really a consideration for that. It was like, we have clients that need this work done get it done there was a tiny bit of sympathy and i'm specifically mentioning sympathy not empathy because they're two very different things there's that mm, oh i'm sorry that you're going through that but still you know we've got deadlines kind of just get it done and it was something that made me feel angry which i think kind of fed into the feelings of exhaustion and just resentment and a bit of bitterness to be honest with you and it did come to a crunch point where I was like you know I didn't ask to be put in this situation I joined the company as a specific kind of person there was no warning there was no handover I've just had to learn things that nobody else in the entire company could show me because she was the only person that was doing that and so yeah, it definitely did to get to the point where I was doing some long hours. I was coming in trying to make up. And then I was just like, wait, hold on. No. What am I killing myself for? Do I even care about the content of my work as much as the effort that I'm putting into, which is feeds in, into the description that you said before, sure. And I was just like, I'm just going to stop doing this. So I stopped doing it. And I kind of fed back to the people that are above me, like, this is all that I'm dealing with. It is actually unreasonable for you to expect me to do all of that what are you going to do about it? I just threw it back to them because at that time I was still like, you know, a meek and mild black person in the workplace. Like I can't lose my job. You know what I mean? Just like, (laughs) yes, sir. No, sir. Three bags full, sir. But kind of after that situation, it changed. And I was like, I can't come and kill myself. That's a common refrain of West Africans, like diaspora. We can't come and kill ourselves. And I just adopted that because I was like, who gains from this? Yeah, they gain work output. Yeah, the clients are happy. But so I should sink my life into depression and just misery for what a job. Mm -hmm. I was like, no. And I guess what I'm hearing from both of you is just the tasks or the role wasn't resonating with you, right? Which is sort of the definition here where it's conflicting with what is your passion or your sense of self. And to share for me, I think for me, I was burnt out in my last corporate job where it was a constant grind. Mm. And although people were kind and smart and really interesting, we were always working even when we were on vacation or on weekends, we still checked in. So you never were able to really unplug. And then I also had a lot of anxiety just being on edge, never knowing when I would be slammed, where Mm. the work was coming from and just uncertainty about controlling my own time. For me, it felt really destabilizing. And I think a lot of times people know they're stressed, but they don't realize they're burnt out because it's a gradual thing over Mm -hmm. a period of time. Did you know when you were experiencing it that you were burnt out? Did you realize that? 
I think for me, no, I just felt stressed and I felt anxiety and I felt anger and I felt a bit of resentment. It was only kind of after the fact that I was able to be a bit reflective about the situation and say yep okay I was feeling burnout there because I was exhausted I was coming in I would just you know those ones when you you just go straight to bed you can't even function you can't even respond to messages you're just like I just need to sleep and then you'd wake up you do the same thing again and then you'd go to sleep so for me I didn't really have the capacity within the situation itself to identify it as burnout personally Right. Yeah. I think, again, like with all mental health or mental well-being issues, the fact that physically you're okay to get up and go and, you know, the narrative of being a black person is that we just push through. You disable what it means to feel stressed because the logistics of my life mean that I still have to get out of bed or for whatever God-given reason, I have the strength to physically get out of bed and turn the cogs, feed myself, da, 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 get on with a working day, that you just neglect that the stress is wearing on you. Like if you were a sprinter or a runner and you sprained your ankle through practicing or through work, you would physically feel that pain and know that you have to slow down. But because it's something that's mental, I feel like we just tend to ignore it and push it to the back and don't Mm. appreciate that we need rest and then another thing that comes is like we punish ourselves for resting it's like you need to deserve rest or you can't be afforded rest because you've still got so much to do and then you just keep going without acknowledging and listening to your body which in this sense is your feelings and your mind and saying I need to pause Also, another thing attached to that is the fact that in our communities, especially as over here as Black and Caribbean and African people, the idea that we need to rest is almost like a weakness. Like, why should Mm. I need to rest? People have gone before me and they never rested. They worked till, you know what I mean? They had... 10 different jobs and looked after the kids and family who are you to think that you should rest so that's something that comes from within ourselves because we've learned that and also that's something that our families will continue to project on us like a vacation would you need a vacation for (laughs) I never took a vacation do you know what I mean (laughs) right right that hustle mentality where you know you're you're juggling three or four jobs and that's normal that's okay yeah And I would say for me, I didn't realize I was burnt out. I would say until someone just offhand just mentioned it. And then I started to look at different signs because I know for me, I've always been a really passionate person. I'm passionate about everything and I have strong feelings and opinions. I care about my work, care about people, I care about justice, like I said before. So that's part of who I am and it's central to who I am. But then as I was working. I'm a lawyer. So as I was doing this, I felt myself being really disconnected and feeling listless. And I just, in that moment, lost my passion and underlying motivation. And that in my 30 something odd years had never happened where I just wasn't passionate or just didn't feel connected to the work or just to the things that I was doing around me. So I just knew that something was not right because Hmm. even as a kid, I've always been very passionate about everything. So that's kind of when I realized that this is not me. So just some of the signs of burnout is just, you know, as we mentioned, exhaustion, anger, irritability, you could be getting headaches or muscle pains, isolating yourself using food or alcohol or drugs to sort of comfort you, procrastinating, and just feeling um, like a decreased satisfaction and sense of accomplishment. So 
Mm. Relate. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to take this conversation about burnout and think about how the last few months of lockdown, because we've been on lockdown here in the U.S. because of coronavirus. I guess you've had some of that as well. You've been locked down as well. Three, was it three months? (laughs) Um, Since March 23rd until literally just two days ago. Yeah, or one day ago. Yeah. So is the whole country open up now? Pretty much everything. There's a few outstanding things. Like I think beauty salons and I can't remember what's left. It doesn't really make sense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, but basically everything is opened up now with plenty of stipulations that no one's going to pay attention to let's just be realistic (laughs) like yeah but it was a concentrated lockdown from I think March April probably till about end of May and then June I think certain things yeah certain things started becoming a bit more flexible but yeah it was pretty much like three months of super intense just being inside right and I guess the situation here is Every state does its own thing, yeah. right? So there, there might be some federal guidance, as limited as it may be, but every state is responsible. And every, I mean, sometimes you see different things in different cities. So we're seeing some places start to open back up, but then some places like Arizona or Texas are starting to close back because Again. they reopened prematurely, kind of a bit chaotic. But I wanted to think about this question of burnout and think about how we've just been locked away for three months or four months, however long. And I think, I know I worked remotely and sometimes when you're working remotely, you feel like, okay, you shouldn't complain, right? You have Mm. all this time at home. People think you're on a vacation. You have so much Mm. free time. But then actually when you remote work, it's kind of hard to switch off sometimes, right? Because there's less demarcation between work life and home life. And when is it time to call it quits have you had to work remotely and how has it been for you so in the UK it's a kind of complicated situation because obviously yes people who are able to work from home have worked from home but then say for instance in my situation I'm actually currently on furlough and have been since April what is furlough furlough is like the government's job retention scheme where the UK government has agreed to pay up to 80% of a person's salary then the company can choose whether they top that up so the person receives a full salary or whether they just leave it at 80% and that's to retain people's jobs and people who are made redundant were able to go some of them were able to go back to their old job and say can you put me on furlough and Mm. so there's people in that kind of situation a lot of people in that situation who can't really work from home even people who can work from home because to be honest with you I work in a digital agency we are able to work from home my agency has is just kind of making use of that scheme to kind of conserve costs to ensure that they don't have to make layoffs and then there's people that have been able to work from home who are working from home and then you have key workers who've basically still had to go out and work so say that's people working within NHS which is our national health service maybe taxi drivers maybe school teachers as well it's been varied for everybody I can only speak from my situation I mean I was working from home from probably about a month and you're right it is kind of super intense kind of always being on meetings zoom meetings and stuff it is to an extent I feel more exhausted than actually being in the workplace just having to be digitally connected all the time that's very draining within itself but then coming off of that to go on furlough I didn't really see it as a time to just like chill and relax I've used it to do courses that will improve my skill set. I've used it to carry on stuff that I was doing privately, uh, working on the podcast, continuing to learn Spanish, which has taken me 
like 10 years I've just tried to keep myself occupied to ensure that once I come out of this whichever way it turns whether I'm going into a role or they're saying sorry I'm gonna have to let you go I come out with this with some new skills that I can utilize and turn to my advantage but I acknowledge completely that's a very fortunate position that I've been in. Not a lot of people had have time to even think about doing such things. So I, I just think it's been different for everyone. And, and I always bring a different layer because mm. as the only one with children in the group, <laughs> my experience is very different. So I definitely have, I don't know, have I been burnt out? Probably, or definitely very, very close to because every day, for three months, I've lived a double shift. I've had three children at home whilst working from home and there's just no let up. And so that's either like doing my job in the day whilst navigating through breakfast, lunch, dinner. Oh, I need you to connect me to my Zoom call. Or oh, what page am I on? Or oh, have you printed off my worksheet from the kids? Or admitting that like this isn't really working and then not working for several hours of the day to put the children to bed and start working eight o'clock at night and then going on to make sure that things can get done. I acknowledge my privilege in that I've got a job. I haven't had to worry about financial security and I work for a really nice school who are totally supportive and understanding and also the nature of my work means that there are lots of things that I can do at eight o'clock at night because it's not always client facing or customer right. facing. But the job has been twofold 24 seven mm. for me. And yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I mean, I was saying to my partner, like, I don't think you truly even appreciate the luxury of having a 20 minute drive when you're on your own. And because you're driving you don't have to think about anything but the road or listen to music. I don't even have that in my day mm. now. Tired. <laughs> mm. Right. So when you were experiencing burnout, maybe Chantal, like right now, are you speaking to any of your friends or family about this situation? Do you, for some of us, we feel grateful, you know, at least we have a job or at least we're getting a salary. Is there some guilt to talk about this with some people who might not be in that same position. Never, never. <laughs> For me, everything, everything coexists. Like you can be grateful and just bloody well frustrated all at mm. the same time. And that's okay. I'm also very fortunate that I have such a strong circle of family and friends around me that even if I didn't say anything, everybody is attuned to each other's needs even though our circumstances are so different so there's always going to be someone who will check in on me and listen to what I say but there's always someone who's also doesn't care what I have to say and will hear the situation for what it is and turn up and batch cook or turn up mm. and say I'm going to look after the kids you do what you need to do I learned a long time ago maybe even highlighted by my experience in 2017 that I will never ever ever shy away from telling people what I need. Even at work, I've said to my line manager certain days where I'm like, this is a day that hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. I've had a one-year-old who's been clinging at my ankles and make of that what you want. You either understand it or you don't, but it is what it is. Mm. 
you know what you actually reminded me of something just before all this whole situation happened I was thinking to myself God if I could just get one month off here because I was just at the point where I was so tired I was kind of just demotivated with like my actual role itself I didn't know what direction I was going in and I was just like God if I could just have one month off and then all of this happened and I literally probably spent about a month just trying to recalibrate even though I may not have been doing any actual work I was just recalibrating my entire body my entire mind because I just needed a break do you remember actually I just remembered I was even supposed to be abroad I was supposed to be traveling Asia a bit because everything happened and I said to these guys I'm on a break I'm on on a sabbatical don't ask me anything about the podcast don't ask me to do this that the other I'm on a break and I'm not doing anything. Contact me again in May about (laughs) anything because I was just like, I need to cut off entirely because I just needed a reset. The other thing is that time, time isn't exactly real in COVID lockdown. So I think a lot of us were like, oh yeah, I'm working for, everything's locked down. I'm free. No, you were not. You maybe cut commuting time so you could wake up and just get out of bed rather than an hour journey or a half an hour journey to work. But we were still working so just because you were from home didn't necessarily mean that you gained any time mm-hmm. um, so it was it was fake time that people that, that some people thought they would have and felt pressured to be doing more because I'm at home but it wasn't a break it was just a different work setting because then you had people overcompensating everything was a meeting everything was a block mm. 45 minute meeting and then family as well were like let's do family zoom calls and I'm like we see each other once a month maybe why are we zoom calling every weekend and then when I don't pick up the zoom call you phone my phone to see where I am because you were so available because you were just at home people (laughs) expected that your time it could be on demand it's like no I don't want to talk just because I'm at home Mm. right right you know, you mentioned people feeling like they may have to overcompensate. So here in the U.S., more than 50% of African Americans are unemployed, and that's post-COVID. And a lot of that is because people have public-facing jobs, so that's sort of eliminated during the lockdown. We'll see how those numbers change later in the summer if they change. But then I feel like sometimes people who do have jobs now feel maybe they have to work harder or, you know, they're getting all these demand. People want to zoom with them or expect them to be very responsive all the time so then you feel that pressure to show up even more Mm -hmm. and so in the u.s we often hear this refrain that americans live to work while everyone else works to live Mm -hmm. and american corporate culture is all about the grind people say i can sleep when i'm dead and so just for perspective The U.S. has no mandated paid vacation time or holiday, while European nations like France mandates 30 paid workdays, the U.K. mandates 28, Spain, Sweden, Norway, 25. And even when American companies offer workers paid vacation time, we often don't use it. So in 2018, Americans left 768 million days of paid time off unused. And then again, when we do use our vacation time, we fail to fully disconnect. 70% of Americans report checking in with work during their vacation. And one study found that 54% of Americans feel guilty about taking vacation. So our ethos around work is quite different than, you know, what we hear about in, in Europe and in the UK. What are your perspective on that and the differences? One thing that's always concerned me and shocked me when I've 
I found out about this lack of holiday in the US. That was something that completely horrified me. But funnily enough, it was also something that I related to because for a long period in my working life since graduating from university, I never took a single day's holiday. And I don't know what kind of what straw broke the camel's back but one day I was just like no this has got to stop how can I be working constantly where is my award or am I going to get that in heaven no I want to live life now I only get one life and now I'm the kind of person that like literally a year in advance I'll know where I'm going because I need to have something to look forward to that will help me do my job better I think having holiday that you have to take off is a great incentive for people that are employed to make them do their work better and just have something to look forward to. I cannot in my life now where I am imagine just working an entire year through and not having any leave. When I'm on holiday, I'm on holiday. No one's calling me about work. They can, but I'm not going to respond to it. Illegally, this is my right, so I don't have to respond to that. But I fully again acknowledge that it depends what kind of role and job you're in. There is that certain pressure in certain roles, maybe frontline roles, where people are not able to take what they're owed and what's legally their right. And we know that's a situation that particularly affects black people because we're often in those kind of roles where it's very precarious. And if we have a lot of dependents, which we usually are vulnerable people that we're looking after, we can't afford to say, "Mm, according to this law, they won't care. They'll just get rid of us and replace us with a new person. So it's a double-edged sword. We have a right, but also we can also feel that pressure that means that we don't want to access that right because we're in fear of losing our jobs and we know as black people how hard it is for us to get jobs. Now something that I actually mentioned to you show in email is it's very hard for us to even access stats about our community alone, black people alone. It's always lumped in with BAME which means black and ethnic minorities or minority ethnic people. So we can't even access stats about how certain things are specifically affecting us as a black people. I personally feel that that's deliberate because if we knew how disproportionate some things were then we'd be up in arms about it but because we don't have these things we don't really have a leg to stand on as such in terms of challenging the status quo and saying no this isn't okay look at what our Caucasian counterparts are allowed to do or the allowances they have why can't we have the same so I mean that's for me that's how I translate our situation in the UK I think it's very much to do with quality of life so like In my earlier career before I was teaching, I definitely took all of my leave, but I was young and I was like, I want to travel and I want to go on holidays and I had no responsibilities. So, you know, what else am I doing with my money? And I very much saw it as an important thing to do. So personally, I've always used my leave and I've never imagined anything else like I've got 25 days off that I'm allowed to take why won't I take it I don't think like it's how we assess quality of life so whilst some of us are not in a position where we have disposable income and then could say yeah I'm booking two weeks off work because I'm going on holiday I think you still have to recognize for me I'm quite quite a homebody and so things like I want to rearrange my room or clear out the loft or do life admin because these are other things that would stress me out because they're not being done because I'm not paying attention to them I would quite happily take a week off to just tidy my house because on the day-to-day grind you're just coming and going and not tending to those things I think there's there's something very much to say about quality of life and sort of how you prioritize the different aspects of your life I have always said I intend to 
work for a living as in I need to live that life because coming and going doesn't make any sense what am I working for to pay bills for a house that I'm never in that I never get to enjoy it just doesn't make sense I think teaching allows me to do that a little bit more because there are however many weeks 13 weeks of the year that we're not supposed to work earlier in my career I probably worked a lot more than I do now and if there's anything about parenthood that changed me was that I needed to have a lot more boundaries in place and Mm -hmm. respect that this is my time off and when I work I work extremely hard and I'm dedicated to what I do at work so when I'm not at work the things that are not getting my attention this is the time for me to feed it. Is the UK sort of like the rest of Europe where we often hear at least in the US that people work to live in Europe? right? And we hear the opposite here where we're constantly grinding. Do people really value that time off and work-life balance? Where I think so. 100%. I don't think we've got it right. I think Europeans, Mm. say for example, let's focus in on Spain. (laughs) Perfect example of who have probably got it much better. Like I remember the first time I went to, in fact, not even Spain, this was Milan. And we'd woken up late and headed out about lunchtime and nothing was open. Why? Because it's siesta. Why? Mm. Because people are going home to have lunch with their family, to have a little break, and then go back to work. Not there's an hour slot in your working day where you take your lunch break. No, this is a period of time where the high street completely closes because there are no workers. So I think even if we look to our European counterparts, they've definitely got something going that's a bit better than us. I mean, I think that's also to do with a lot of history and politics in terms of family relations, the value in which different people take on family life. And there are certain parts of Europe, the UK, where I feel like we live very individualistic lifestyles, mm. individual for ourselves and individual for households. And then you look outwards to other parts, Spain, Portugal, Italy, where family life and looking after extended family and elders is quite a focal point. And so that then takes priority. Then you've got places like, even the places that I kind of don't really look to, but Sweden and Finland, Mm. their school days are shorter. Mm -hmm. Their children start school at nine and finish at two. In fact, it's not even on a day span. If you look at a lifestyle span, their children even start school later because they value childhood in a different way from which we do. So it's definitely a spectrum. And I don't even know if I'd go as far to say the UK is somewhere in the middle. We're probably slightly, you know, right of the middle, closer to the US. And there's there's definitely a lot to be learned and gained in terms of work-life balance, well-being from other countries. I think there's um, definitely a workaholic culture. Let me speak for London. I'm not really sure too much about the rest of the UK, but definitely in London, it's just a constant drive, a constant hustle, because our salaries are not really reaching as far as they used to. And and just like the basic necessities of life, say like having a place to live, these things are, most people in the country are easily being placed out of being able to attain these kind of goals. So definitely the mindset in London, it's literally a rat race. It is a rat race. Like there's no two ways about it. 
But then on the flip side, one thing that I do notice, especially I'll say this of our Caucasian work counterparts is despite the fact that they're working all the hour that God sends, after work, they will go to the pub and enjoy their life. When it's summer, they will have a plan to go to New York or this place. They very much, as much as they're working in the workplace, they want to enjoy their lives too. Now, when it comes to kind of black and ethnic minorities there is that intent and desire but it's not always actualized just because of the opportunities that we have before us which are restricted or the kind of roles that we're in so there is that desire to like just live our best lives but depending on what kind of demographic we belong to and what kind of roles we have that's what really determines whether we are able to kind of make the most of the money that we're earning Mm, it's interesting you started to mention a little bit more about racial issues. So I wanted to think about in the U.S., you know, while we had this coronavirus lockdown, there was also the added emotional stress of the murder of George Floyd. And that came after Amy Cooper, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, all of these incidents in succession, which heightened the emotional stress. And during this time, I kept hearing and reading, Black people are tired, Black people are exhausted. And I felt that way too. So I understood the context in the U.S., but then we saw Black Lives Matter go global and we saw protests across Europe in Africa and Asia. And so some people were surprised. Why do you think it resonated globally? Because police brutality is not the sole ownership of Black Americans, I think. And I do understand that in America, the news and media, they don't really have a reason to focus on anything going on over here, which is why I sometimes think that there is that kind of disconnect in terms of why is anybody else around the world kind of denouncing this? We endure our own forms of police brutality here. I think with the case of George Floyd and other cases before him, and Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, we can see, as we always do, that these things are evil things, they're wicked things that are going on. Even going back as far as Tamir Rice, sorry, Mike Brown, all those kind of things. When they were happening in the US, we in the UK, we cared about them and we were outraged by them and we used our voices to speak about them. But again, if the media over in the US is not focusing on it, you're not really going to see that we felt as passionate about that as everybody did over there. So when we're seeing that this is happening on the other side of the world, it's a trigger, basically. It reminds us of the situations that have happened in the UK where there's been absolutely no justice, no accountability. To mention a few of the names in the UK, Sarah Reed, Sean Rigg, Mark Duggan. These are deaths that have happened in police custody and there's been no accountability whatsoever. As black people, we know that things disproportionately affect us. We're 3% of the population, but we're 8% of the deaths in custody. MP over here called David Lammy was actually commissioned to carry out a study with regard regards to the prejudice occurring to black and ethnic minority people when it comes to our interactions with the police. His report proved that basically if you were a white man and a BAME man in the same predicament with this the same previous history with the same or similar evidence the BAME man was more likely to be stopped arrested and charged and denied bail and convicted and sentenced to prison than the white man. We have stats here that say in 2018 to 2019, black people were nine times as likely to be stopped and searched by police as white people We make up 3% of the population. That is an outrageous statistic. And there's more statistics like that. So 
it's something that resonated with us in terms of just how cruel and inhumane what happened was. We just decided to use it as a launch point to say, do you know what? You might think Great Britain is better because our police officers don't have guns, but actually some of the things that are happening here are actually more disproportionate than what is occurring in the US. And we want this addressed. We want you to understand as a government that this is what we do not stand for. We want you to know that we're calling time on this and we're holding you accountable. So that's why a lot of people were protesting. I would say a lot of us as black people, we were like, don't think that, oh, the UK is better because it's just a small island and no one's getting shot in the street. There's things that are happening here that need to be accounted for, that need to be addressed. And that's why we were up in arms. And I know definitely black people in France, black people in Germany, wherever it is in Europe can really identify with that because these are similar things that are happening to them over there as well. It was a single unifying, unique opportunity for the whole world whilst everyone is watching to hear about everything that's been happening to us too and not to just kind of focus on the black American experience. I totally agree, Tolls, and I also think that there are certain things in life that are just universal. So oppression and disadvantage on that negative end of the spectrum are what they are. There's no other way to speak of them. But police brutality is literally one symptom of that. So whilst we might not be able to say that we see the same things on our streets that we do in the cases of like George Floyd, what was very apparent and striking and although we've seen it time and time again is that in such a unique time where people are so keenly attuned to finding on what's going on around the world because there was a global pandemic but also the other stresses that we've spoken about in terms of worrying about job security working extra hard or being on the brink of burnout in that moment to then have to look at the people who we are supposed to look to for protection and to be overarching high standing members of society abusing their power and taking out people who are disadvantaged it was just a blow that didn't need to happen it doesn't need to happen full stop but it was the perfect storm for everybody to say you know what Mm. I've, i've had enough enough Not only that, I think one of the special things about being black, apart from if you live on the continent or in the islands, is that we have a connectedness because often there are so many parts of the world that we go that we're a minority. As a Londoner, as a a British person, whether you're in London or in Scotland, you see another black person and you nod to that. You go to France where it's predominantly white and you see a black person and you nod to that. And so there is nothing about my blackness that is only for me compartmentalized in my home what Mm. happens to another person that's black regardless of where they are that happens to me and Mm. that's also part of the weight that we carry and you can be bored of it as much as you like but our history says that once upon a time we were one nation of people together and we were separated because of the actions of our white counterparts and so I ultimately, regardless of where I am in the world, whether I'm stateside, in the Caribbean, in the UK, in Europe, I will always feel connected to black people wherever they are because we are one Mm. and there's no way you can see it and ignore it. Mm -hmm. But the conditions for COVID and lockdown meant that we were able to amplify and I'm Mm. happy for that. Mm -hmm. Tolu, you mentioned some stats. I also saw that in England, the police are five times more likely to use mm-hmm. force on black people. Yeah. So you do have your some concerns or issues with excessive use of force and policing there as well. 
yeah. yeah. So who all were you seeing out there in your protests or rallying? What did that demographic look like? So I think this is one of the reasons why this situation has felt so significant. Because number one, coronavirus was happening at the same time. It freed up a lot of people's time to go out and protest, whereas before they would have been concerned with work. And number two... It was the first time I've really seen in my lifetime a massive cohort of people who are not black joining in these protests and actually understanding the concept behind it and not just going there for show or performatism. It was the first time I've seen actively people who are white, people who are Asian, people of other ethnic minorities coming together with us as black people and saying, do you know what, this is wrong and we're standing against this too. And it was so uplifting because I feel like a lot of times as black people often we're fighting for ourselves. And at the end of the day, whether anyone likes it or not, we are not going to win this war ourselves. We need allies from other ethnic minorities, other groups. We need everyone to be on board in order to topple the system as it stands. So in terms of the protests here, we were seeing a range of people from all sorts of backgrounds. And it was just really encouraging to see kind of people that you might not have thought would have really cared about it, actually being able to vocalise quite coherently why these particular situations were foul and bad. One of the things that we've done here now is we've stopped trying to kind of explain our humanity to people who can't be bothered and don't want to listen because there are those people here like the UK. As much as the US is racist, the UK is racist. It's just more subtle. It's just more underground. But actually in this situation, a lot of those people arose and they showed themselves. They showed themselves loud and proud. Well, we as black people here, for the majority of us, we've decided "Mm, actually it's not our job to educate any white person on why these things are wrong. Here's a bunch of resources. You go and do your research. Stop asking us to do extra labor on top of dealing with all the things that we're dealing with and the trauma of seeing black people dying online constantly which is something that's horrific. So I think that's something that's really come out of this situation in terms of demographic of people that are getting involved and in terms of redirecting people to do their own research and understand for themselves why we need more equality and justice in the world. What's it look like in the US? I would say it was the same, actually. It was really interesting. We had a lot of people out there who were not Black, uh, diverse array of people, a lot of white people, young people, a lot of young people especially. But, you know, you also saw the image of the 70-something-year-old man getting pushed down and and knocking his head. So there was just a lot of people out there who were not necessarily Black. And then you saw some scenes um, in some protests where people were basically trying to be strategic and coordinate and have, quote-unquote, allies sort of surround the periphery Mm. and have, you know, Black people in the center moving forward in these protests, right? It was really a mix of people. And I think that's really what made this different as well Mm. is just how many people were out there and who was out there as well and who was always also talking about it if you're not protesting a lot of companies who really started to emphasize you know black lives do matter i don't know how genuine or you know real this was you know like we had the nfl and various other And where you're like, okay, a few years ago, you guys weren't saying this, but the moment is now. And so a lot of companies were at Mm. least using that rhetoric. I think one of the things for me, like seeing the footage from America, because we we always have a constant stream of like information coming from social media from America. And it was so interesting, like seeing different parts of the country going out in their droves. I think I remember I saw footage of 
Seattle, there were thousands of people there and it was just like a quiet march. But I thought, wow. Like, and it was raining as well. I know it pretty much always rains in Seattle, but still, and it was a constant stream. It was one day it'd be Texas, one day it was Seattle, one day it was New York, another place, another place, all over the country. And that's the first time I have seen in my personal life different areas of the US come together in that way in unison and say, and kind of march in protest against things that were happening because from where we're sitting in the UK and we're seeing all these things happen we can have that perception of wow America's kind of like a hellhole for black people like there's just no justice no nothing like no one even cares at all in fact they'll go out of their way to justify why more people should be dying and so it was the first time I really saw that there are people who are not black within America that actually care about this And you're right, because this seemed like it was much more widespread. It wasn't just focused on one area where the incident actually happened. You had people coming out from all parts of the country. And even in communities where there are not a lot of people, people still erected their own small little protests on the Mm. the corner of a street, for example. So how do you deal with all of the stress that's coming at you You know, how do you deal with the news, all of the stress, the work, the lockdown, anything that can lead to burnout? I'm part of the NAP ministry, boy. I (laughs) I was like, what's that? And then I clocked it. (laughs) (laughs) I I am not, I do not feel guilt or sorry for stopping at all. I actually had started a new job in lockdown and we spoke about believing that you are enough and not overcompensating and and trusting that what you do is good enough. Yeah, I didn't try to take over the world. I just wasn't going to set any unusual expectations of myself because of this unusual circumstance. I think initially as lockdown started probably across March and April I just kind of took that time to rest and just like because I was just so exhausted mentally I guess maybe emotionally a little bit so I just took that time to rest then after that I'm a very pragmatic person so I just kind of made myself a plan no I was not going to launch a new business don't care I don't have the energy to do anything like that I'm not interested but I just thought let me maintain some of the things that I was doing before in order to keep giving myself structure yes I may not be working but let me not totally fall out completely and just become like a slob with no no goals no aspirations I think that's very critical for maintaining mental wellness having things to look forward to and having things that you need to achieve so I just gave myself like little tasks like yeah read for one hour three times a week exercise maybe four times a week do this course you know just small little things that can make me feel like I'm achieving something because when you feel like you're not achieving that's when you're more susceptible to feelings of hopelessness and despair and feeling like your life's not going anywhere so it was important for me to have a little bit of stability in terms of that like Chantel said yeah sleeping 100% if it's overwhelming sleep and shutting down and Turning off, you don't need to be on social media constantly. You don't need to be on digital products constantly. Take time away because it is overwhelming. A lot of it is very sad. It's traumatizing. It's depressing. So yeah, spas may not be open. You can't do what you usually do. You can't get your nails done. You can't get your hair done. But what you can do is you can shut off. You can meditate, have a nice conversation with friends or do something fun, like have a Zoom party, celebrate a birthday on Zoom, play games on Zoom. Zoom, just those kind of little things that will just help you 
perk up your mood and maintain a structure and stability and I think that's the key thing really for not allowing everything to overwhelm you maintaining a structure and some stability and keeping in touch with the people that boost you as well right so for me small pleasures I really did a lot more walks I still Mm. do walks listen to music that's always very relaxing for me and then another important thing is just being connected to my friends and family. So I have a couple of group chats where we constantly checking in on each other and making jokes and sometimes not even talking about the news. And then also doing the Zoom parties, like you said, or the Zoom happy hours. If we can't see each other, at least we'll turn up, you know, (laughs) from our own homes. So that's really been what has sustained me. So we are coming to a close but for listeners who want to learn more about Black women working, how can they get in touch? How can they follow you? We're basically everywhere. So you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. It's at BWW Podcast UK. That's at BWW Podcast UK. We also have a website as well, which is www.blackwomenworking.com. Uh, on the website, you can find out a little bit more about us as for individuals our backgrounds where we're coming from and you can also catch up with the episodes there people can email us blackwomenworkinguk at gmail.com for feedback or maybe topic suggestions things like that and also something that we started in this time of lockdown as I guess the kind of motivation for ourselves but also to kind of keep in touch with our audience and make sure they're doing well or is there any way that we can help them we've started Instagram lives which we hold fortnightly on a variety of topics you can catch up with those on on our instagram we've saved the majority of those and we also have a newsletter actually which we have kind of just started as well which we'll be publishing regularly so yeah we're just we're just kind of making use of the time and seeing what ways we can reach out to our audience you can listen to us on spotify soundcloud and apple podcasts and various of the other android platforms as well And I forgot to ask you earlier, but can you just tell us really briefly what your podcast is about? So Black Women Working is a podcast that allows a safe space for open conversation on the experiences that Black women have in the workplace, be that to do with microaggressions, be that to do with how we wear our hair, but also some of the less obvious things that are kind of attuned to the culture we come from, like how we manage stress and anxiety or unemployment and the the cultural ties that come with that. So at the moment, we exist as a podcast. However, it is very much a future intention for Black women working to be a platform, a network, the go-to for not just Black women, but also wider organisations to come and look to us as a place for information, training, mentoring, networking. We're not there yet, but we work every day towards that. And for your audience, I'll share that Break Concrete is a podcast exploring the experiences of Black women professionals as they navigate race and gender in the workplace. You know, we often hear about the glass ceiling, but Black women's experiences are often shaped by both racism and sexism and oftentimes classism too. 
And navigating that workspace, I think, is much more difficult to achieve that professional advancement. And I really wanted to shed light on that dynamic and that intersection of race and gender and how breaking through is much more akin to a concrete wall. It's hard to see through. It's it's actually impossible to see through a concrete wall, right? And it's hard to break. So you have to really clamor and climb and really work so much harder. So I really wanted to show our experiences, and how we break through that concrete wall. And it's interview-based, so I interview really knowledgeable, talented guests. You always have something of value to offer to listeners. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Break Concrete. The email is breakconcrete at gmail.com, and our website is breakconcrete.com. And you can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Nice. Nice. This has been great. Yeah, it's been so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Break Concrete. As I mentioned earlier, season two will be released at the end of July, so stay tuned. In the meantime, we welcome your questions and suggestions at breakconcrete at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at breakconcrete and join our Facebook community to continue the conversation. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. Until next time.